This is Legends of Tabletop, and I'm your guest, Pete Rollick, author of Reanimators, The Weird Company, and Reanimatrix, and my new book, The Peasley Papers. Available soon at all your finer internet outlets. Hey everybody, this is John. And this is Vince. And you're listening to Legends of Tabletop. Creating legends one die at a time. Hello everybody. Yes, welcome and thank you for joining us today, Pete. I really appreciate your you taking the time to come with us today. And what is it that you are lifting to your lips this fine beverage this evening? Blue Moon! This episode of Pete's Madness brought to you by Blue Moon Belgian <laughs> Light. <laughs> Opinions nice. stated, therefore, are not necessarily those held by Blue Moon. <laughs> anyway, yes. Let's see how fast Pete can get drunk off of cheap beer. Cheap beer? Uh, you gotta learn how to make it. Ah, that's your expertise. I'm just, I'm smoking meat these days. Oh. You're making beer, I'm smoking meat. Okay, so All right. Peasley Papers, do the tell. Papers. So, back when I was writing Reanimators, the book got hijacked by the next door neighbor, who was Nathaniel Peasley, and uh, from Lovecraft's Shadow Out of Time. And he was he took over half the book and to the point where it's like, my God, I have to kill this guy. Well, thankfully, you know, there was there was a limit to when he was there because you know his character gets changed dramatically uh in the original story. But I had written a bunch of stories about Nathaniel Peasley. And then I wrote a whole bunch of sort of espionage Cthulhu mythos stories about his son Wingate. And then I wrote some very soft sci-fi. Uh, pieces um, about Hannah, um, mm-hmm. their sister. And then Robert Peasley is like all over. He's the main character in Rhea Matrix. Well, for half the book. Um, so I wrote all the, and then I have stories about um, their one of their descendants, Pandora Peasley. So I have all these stories and I was like, oh, and you know, it's like putting them together and looking at them and I realize it's like, there's a story arc here that I'm telling and I got 50% done. Let's write another 50,000 to 60,000 words. We'll put it together. And it's not really a novel. It's not really a collection of short stories. It's sort of like an epic. And it runs from say Mesozoic period all the way to the heat death of the universe. Um, And it focuses on various members of the Peasley family. Yes. And you know, Mike is a uh, Mike at the Lovecraft Zine is a big fan of not only Cthulhu Mythos fiction but time travel fiction. And since half these stories or, or more uh, relate to time travel, it just seemed like a perfect fit for him and I to work together on this. So, yeah. Peasley Papers out from Lovecraft Zine Press. Some people already have copies. We had a formatting issue, so we we stopped production. And we're going to start up again probably in a couple of weeks, but we'll have copies for sale at Necronomica. Limited amount, but we'll have them. Okay. So, kind of cool. I really like it. Um, it sort of brings together in, in a very broad brush way some of my ideas about how the mythos work. And I have some heretical ideas about the, how the mythos work. So... I'm not going to do any spoilers, but if you're a fan of the great race of Yith, this is going to be the book for you. Yes. So um, I, I, I am trying to refrain from interjecting what might be seen as those. So. Yeah. If um, I know a lot of people liked um, the time traveler's ex-wife as, mm-hmm. as a, Sort of, because it focuses on um, Peasley's wife, Alice, who is 
the funny thing is that that she, you know, we think of her as a disposable character in the first book, but she's actually this huge foreshadowing for the the novel in um, uh, the Shadow Out of Time. Um, her last name is this huge hint about what's going on. Um, yes. So there's that story, but then there's a prequel to that story. And then there's a sequel called Hannah and her mother take a very long lunch. Yes. And I, I kind of, <sighs> Hannah and her mother take a very long lunch is this sort of time traveling meets Seinfeld. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. Because it's, it's not really about anything, but it is, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it definitely is. Yeah, it is, but it's not. <laughs> it's <sort of> like, <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's sort of like, you know, it's the typical thing where you, you get together with your mother and you have lunch and she wants you to have a salad and you want to have a piece of cherry pie and or vice <laughs> versa. And, you know, she's giving you all this advice and you're like, what the hell are you talking about? And it all takes on greater, deeper meaning when your your mother is this time traveling, you know, essentially female Doctor Who, um, who is telling you how you have to live your life from now on because things have changed. So that's all I'm going to say about that. that but that's, it's kind of one of my favorite stories because it's, it's kind of simple and fun, but it has some deeper meaning too. So there. All right. Hannah and her mother take a very long lunch. Yes. And it, it is, it is loaded with meaning. Yes. And cherry pie. So, yes. I like the cherry pie thing. And salad. Yes. And salad. And there's a, uh, you know, as if you, if you know my work, I always drop hints at, to other stories and little connections. And there is a connection to Seinfeld and there is a connection to, um, um, the night owl murders from, Oh God, what is his name? It's, it's just came right out of my head. Um, movie with Kim Bassinger. Um, it's, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. It, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's a, it's a film noir and, and a really good book. Um, it'll come to me in a second. It's not the black Dahlia, but it's by the same author. Um, doesn't matter. Anyway, it's good stuff. So, okay. Yeah. You are one to tie in a lot of cinematic references into your work. Be fifties yes. greats, uh, you know, the man with the X-ray eyes, etc. Yeah, I you know that was just, X the uh, the man with the X-ray eyes with uh, what is it Ray Milland was just on the other night, and even though I've seen it like probably a thousand times, I had to put it back on because I think it's one of the best Lovecraftian movies ever made. Um, this you know Ray Milland dos- is dosing his eyes with the and, and trying to see further and further, and he's seeing something in space. And it's slowly driving him mad. How much can you see? Yeah. And, you know, to the point where, you know, finally he just pulls out his own eyes to stop seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Really great stuff. Yes. And, uh, and unfortunately that also makes me think of one of my favorite sci-fi movies um oh god why why am i drawing a blank right now i i event horizon but i'm I'm going to interject for a brief moment because i also like to see late into the night and i love my coffee do you like coffee as well pete i do and i drink a lot of coffee um mostly since my son now works at starbucks so, yes, I drink a, my fair share. Okay. Well. What do you got? I have a night owl blend from Birds of a Feather Coffee Company. They roast their unique craft coffees in small batches, so it is always fresh. Have you ever had a not fresh cup of coffee? It's I just, have, and it's just awful, you know. Oh. But yes, uh, Birds of a Feather has showcase blends. It's their signature blends, and they do showcase the amazing breadth and depth of 
flavor that coffee has to offer. And if you get someone that really knows how to roast a good batch of coffee, you can't beat it. Birds of a feather. Birdscoffeecompany.com. So, yes, head on down to birdscoffeecompany.com, enter Legends 10, and you will get a 10% discount on your coffee. So. You know, I didn't just start drinking coffee until I was 25. You didn't. Nope. Nope. And now, you know, I'm kind of addicted. I have to have my coffee every day. Yes. Yeah. It's a bad thing. It's a good thing, but it's a bad thing. But it's a good thing, too. Yep. Kind of like loaded and not loaded. Yeah. Yeah. So you had mentioned, you know, my love of movies. And mm -hmm. the one thing I'll talk about is, you know, Reanimatrix, which is, you know, apparently I, I thought this went unnoticed, but um, Booklist Online just named this one of the top 10 horror novels of the year. So there's that. Oh, that's but, awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. I'm, I'm kind of thrilled about it. But, um, this is, uh, this is actually based on one of my favorite film noirs, uh, a movie called Laura, mm -hmm. um, which is about a cop who picks up a murder case of a, of a, um, a woman who is shot in the face. And through investigating her murder and her, all the stuff moving up to her murder, he slowly falls in love with her memory. Mm -hmm. And to the point where he's almost living in her house. And, you know, he's read all her diaries and her letters and this and that. She, he's drinking her booze. He's staring at her picture all day. And, you know, he's fallen in love with her memory. And then she turns up alive. And, you know, to me that just screams for uh, a – you know, reanimator storyline, you know, you know, same kind of storyline except it takes place in Arkham. And so when, you know, somebody dies, they're not quite that, well, they're just a little dead-ish. <laughs> so. I, again, I, I am trying my best to refrain from saying anything that might be a uh, spoiler. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, reanimatrix is a, uh, I think it's one of my better works, though I don't have that many. Uh, what is it? Reanimator's Weird Company, Reanimatrix. Mm -hmm. Now I have... Uh, Papers and the, the Lurking Chronology. The Lurking Chronology. And um, the book I edited with Brian Sammons, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Legacy of the Reanimator. Okay. So, yes. That's right. I do like that. Yeah, I, well, and that, that sort of came about because I... <laughs> it took a lot of effort for me to find all these diverse uh, Herbert West stories. And I sort of like wanted to put them all together. And I was joking online that it was the 30th anniversary of, of the movie coming up and that we should, uh, maybe it was 25, 25, 30. I don't remember. It was, I think it was 85. So it was probably 30. And that we should do a, a tribute anthology. And the next thing I know, there were people online screaming at me to do it, including a publisher. So, yeah, that's how that came about. But it, it put together a whole bunch of uh, stories that had not been made available relatively easily. Um, and you could only find in small press magazines scattered here and there. So we put them all together, and uh, it turned out pretty good. I like it. I'm going to sneeze in a minute. Yeah, I'm probably going to cough a little, but that's okay. Um, oh gosh, so you have that, and then uh, let let's go back a little bit to uh, the Weird Company. Sure. How did that one come about? Um, the Weird Company came about because I could not sell a damn thing I wrote. Um, <laughs> back in the Early 90s, I wrote a story called On the Far Side of the Apocalypse. Mm -hmm. And it got picked up by a, a magazine, and it was my first professional sale. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, yes, I'm in. Here it goes. And, you know, then I could not sell another story to save my life. Oh, so I sort of gave up. 
and just you know, I, I just dedicated myself to collecting books again, which I've been collecting Lovecraftian fiction since I was knee high to a grasshopper, and um, read a book um, about it was a chapbook uh, about the history of the Miskatonic University Library. Was pseudo history. I was like, "Oh, that'd be cool. I could do that." And I started writing a pseudo history of Miskatonic Valley. And so I'm reading my entire collection of Lovecraftiana, Cthulhu Mythos stuff. And I'm taking all these notes and I'm building timelines. And I write the first chapter, and uh, it gets published in Crypt of Cthulhu, and that's great. And I'm working on the second chapter, which is uh, later. You know the colonial period but i'm you know working through all the books and stories and i come across this thing and my timelines all sync up and i realize that asneth wait um the unnamed narrator from shadow of rinsmith uh who we all refer to now as robert olmstead randolph carter as zakuba are all in arkham at the same time just within you know probably if not within a week of each other, within days of each other. And you cannot, um, you can easily make them like on the same day, passing through town. And I had been a big fan of Alan Moore's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And I was like, oh, well, this is easy. Let's do this. We'll do a League of, League of Lovecraftian Gentlemen. Yes. And so I wanted um, Randolph Carter as uh, – the, the Swami um, and then Asneth Waite and Robert Olmstead. And then I wanted to bring Herbert West in, but Herbert West, his timeline was, was not working. He's dead or sort of dead or let's just say deadish again. And, you know, I can't force him into the storyline. And then uh, also wanted uh, Frank Elwood um, from, uh, the dreams in the witch house. So I start writing this, this, this sort of immense crossover and I've got like a dozen names for it. And I'm really leaning toward the, the, the league of Lovecraftian gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and you know, I, I even had this like sort of mock-up where it's like the league of Lovecraftian gentlemen. And then in lipstick gentlemen is crossed out <laughs> um, because we have asked if wait, but sort yes. of, um, but then as I wrote this story, I really wanted a reanimator in there. I needed a reanimator. I realized I had to create my own. So I took the whole weird company, I set it aside, and started developing the character that would become uh, Hartwell, Dr. Stuart Hartwell. And I was just, my intent was just to write a couple stories and figure out what his background was. But as the the time kept going. I just kept writing more and more stories about him and they were all like linear. So it was like all of a sudden I have this 25 year history of, of, of Dr. Hartwell. And I kind of wanted to do that. It's like, so what would it be like to live in Arkham for the 25 years between zero and uh, between 1900 and 1925. And that was my intent. I was, and the name, the title was going to be like the shadows over Arkham. And, you know, we bounced it around a bunch and finally Ross Lockhart came up with reanimators and that stuck. And now we're well into, so reanimators got published and now we have a background for Stuart Hartwell. And, you know, that was made writing with the weird company a lot easier. So the weird company is like the first book I conceived of, but then had to go backwards and fill in the backstory for Hartwell before I could actually write about him in the weird company and he appears briefly in reanimatrix too so yeah he does um but maybe see and this just goes with i i am refraining from speaking too much because i I don't want to spoil anything Uh, somebody actually asked me where do i start with your books and i had to hand them the legacy of the reanimator in the collection That would probably be the best place. Yeah. Even though I don't have a story in there, it sort of lays the, the most of the groundwork for, for what's going to come later. You have to really understand reanimator history. 
before you move into my books. So, but yeah, uh, Reanimators, um, my first novel, um, it's a fix up. It, it, I had published a whole bunch of short stories um, about uh, Herbert West and Hartwell that finally appeared in, in that book. Um, Weird Company was a little like that as well, not so much. And then Reanimatrix, only a couple of stories appeared previously. Um, and then in what is it, Peasley Papers, like half the stories have appeared. Um, and the new book, the sequel to Reanimatrix, um, will be entirely new. Nothing will appear previously. So, yes. <laughs> Tell tell me more about this. No. No? <laughs> no. No. Um well, so obviously if there's a sequel to Reanimatrix, the characters live, right? So um basically at the end of Reanimatrix, uh Peasley and Halsey and somebody else have set up a detective agency in Arkham and they're working, you know, basically the Arkham crime scene and if you can imagine what goes on in Arkham you know they have some interesting cases uh, they're also in charge of new security for the library at oh. um, following the events of uh, the Dunwich Horror they need to institute better security at um, at Miskatonic and so they they have the contract for that um, which ha is a whole other subplot but uh, yeah, I mean, anyone that has played Chaosium's, I think it's a Chaosium licensed product. Uh, what What is it? The uh, the Custodians of yeah, yeah. Uh, Miskatonic. Right. So, I mean, there there are storylines abound in in that. Yeah, um, and you know, the, uh, there's. I'll give you one little thing. So. Um, Derelith has a story called, God, I can't even remember what it's called anymore. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's about a little boy at a schoolhouse um, whose mother is possessed by an Lovecraftian entity. Um, and his name happens to be Potter. So there, there's a cute little joke about, you know, how they, they've had to deal with the, that darn Potter boy. <laughs> Um, at, at Miskatonic University, and it's it's you know it's a little joke, but and it's probably not as funny as I think it is, but uh, it works for the storyline. Okay, as long as it as long as it works. Um, man, now now I just have all kinds of questions. For the okay. Animatrix sequel. Um. So yes, they have they have their uh, detectives. Yes. Uh, office and and so they have the contract to produce protect the MU library. Yes. Can you give us any more? Can I give you any more on that? Well, okay, so that's actually not the huge part of the deal. Mm. Um, so, <sighs> Frank Elwood huh? from Dreams in the Witch House, yes. who survives, and he will go on to be in The Weird Company, is still at Miskatonic University. He's, he's wrapping up his degree. Um, he comes to the detective agency and says, I have a problem. These three people from my class are all dead. And they do a little bit more investigating and they find out that more than three. Half the, half the class is, has been killed. Okay. And being a mathematician, Elwood knows that this is this is not something that could just happen. Um, and statistically impossible yeah. accident. So the you know and so this section I was playing around with it. I don't know where we'll end up with yet. I know where we're going, but this section was called a probability of murder. Um, and the and the basic idea is that somebody's killing off. Frank Elwood's, you know, classmates, and he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to be killed. <laughs> um, so they have to figure out who, what, where, and why. Yes. And 
And um, when should we expect this? I have no clue. Okay. I, I am about thirty to forty thousand words in, and it might run to a hundred thousand to hundred and fifty thousand words. Okay. So it is coming along not at a snail's pace, but I am apparently easily distracted and and. See, I already know where the story goes. I already know what happens, you know, and I, it's like, I'm not in a rush to write it because I know how it ends. Yeah! <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so every time somebody comes along and says, hey, would you write a story for this anthology? I have to say yes because I'm easily distracted. And I was like, swirl. <laughs> and, um, you know, yeah, because I'm not in a rush because I know how it ends and you guys are just going to have to suffer. Um <sighs> But okay. then after that, I people have demanded, absolutely demanded, that the weird company return. Yes. So okay. um, the book after this one, and I'm not the working. It's not even a working title. The secret title, the the code title for this is called uh, Varger. V A R V R, but only because I previously revealed my titles and people took them and used them. I um, I think I remember that. So not you know so I'm not revealing my titles anymore just so that somebody doesn't beat me to it. Mm. Um, not that the the storylines you know have any relationship to what I'm doing. I just, you know, work very hard on titles. I think I come up with some catchy titles and mm-hmm. I don't want to lose them again. So there. But yes, the weird company will, will return and they will probably go up against uh, the Peasleys and the Peasley Halsies. And uh, <laughs> so, yes, people demanding essentially a crossover between my two two lineups. So... Yes, Megan Halsey versus Stuart uh, Hartwell will, will actually be a thing. Okay. Um, someday, someday. I don't know when. Okay. But soon, soon. As long as it's not Pandora, because it, it was like, wait, wait, it because right then my my mind was like, wait, Megan Pandora, wait, no, that's Pandora. Yeah. I'm thinking of so. Yeah. Megan is Pandora's mother. Yeah. And yeah, actually, her name is not Pandora. Pandora is her nickname. Yes. Her name is actually Endora Peasley, but everybody just calls her Pandora because she's she's a, a troublemaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she, I think I've written three, four stories about her, and they're all different timelines. Um, she's unstuck in time, um, so she she flits about into different realities and there's there's a there's a story about that um and i can't talk about it oh yeah well it's uh what is it it's uh pandora piece the prognosis of pandora piece mm-hmm. and um yeah. yes when somebody actually you know tries to cure her of her issues yes and uh and someone does yeah yeah yes a thing and yes. that i I'm not going to say. Um, but yeah, uh, going back to what you were talking about earlier, how you had gotten stuck. Like yes. you were able to sell one piece and then you're like, yay. And you wrote all this other stuff and nothing sold and nothing sold and nothing sold. And then you just kind of went on a break. I would, I might say that, that as right, as far as writing is concerned, that's about where I am. And I'm taking a breather and doing some other things for the moment. Right. And, and, and sometimes you, you know, in, if you're not happy and you're not producing what you want to produce mm-hmm. and people aren't liking what you're doing, maybe you need to look at, you know, consider doing something else. Um, mm-hmm. On the other hand, you know, I will say that everything else, everything that I wrote in that, that, that period where I could not sell it has now sold. It's oh, wow. So I have like I had like people. If you look at my um, my resume, my bibliography, you'll see all these stories. Mm-hmm. I think one year I sold. I I had seventeen stories come out. Wow! 
but it's all trunk. It's all stuff that I had written over the course of five years and could not sell. Mm -hmm. And then quickly, you know, once stories, I, I got some notice, um, it was relatively easy to mine those stories for whatever anthology or, or project that was coming up that I could slip them into. Yeah, they took a little bit of rewrite and there's some things that I look at now and going, Oh God, I, you know, this is a good idea, but yeah, yeah, yeah it didn't do it so well. On the other hand, I say that and I, I, there's one of those, there's a story that um, came out in Autumn Cthulhu which I like, I but I wrote it for my son and his his class when he was in middle school. Yeah. As just, but then I rewrote it for Mike Davis's Autumn Cthulhu. Mm -hmm. So I don't think very highly of that story. I like it, but it's not a masterpiece. But on the other hand, I just got asked if I, they could use it to teach college course. So Good. I think maybe I'm my own worst critic sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, particularly, and sometimes you look back and you, you look at something and say, eh, I could have done a better job. Yes. But, but other times people will look at that and say, eh, you did a fine job. You're just, you're, you you have more skills now. And this is what our friend Joe Pulver talks about, the, the toolbox. As yeah. You become a, uh, as you grow as a writer, you gain more tools. I have more tools now, and I could have done things differently back then. But apparently, I did things enough to make some people happy. So, yes. Absolutely. Well, what I am going to do is, since, well, uh, do you have do you have much to add on on what you've got coming through through the pipeline? Um, I can give you some hints. Yay! All right, so I was editing this. Uh, I got asked to edit an anthology called The Chromatic Court. Yes. Which is, plays off this idea that I had where you could expand the mythology of the King in Yellow to other Lovecraftian entities. Mm -hmm. It's sort of the reverse of what Joe Pulver does. Joe Pulver, when you write about the King in Yellow, he does not want to see anything else. No Hastor, no Cthulhu, nothing. Just strictly King and Yellow mythology. What I did in one of the stories starring Robert Peasley, the Sepia Prince, is I expanded yeah. the mythology to include other members of the of Lovecraft's pantheon. I did it just to start my novel, but other people liked it and they said, well, why don't you do a whole anthology based on this? So we put out a call and we got a huge number of um, submissions. I was reading for like four or five days straight wow. gibbering like this, you know, and uh, we came up with like 20 to 30 stories that we just absolutely loved. And it's, it's just, but it's too big for the anthology. Oh. So we're working with the publisher. We're going to see what we can do. We might do it in two volumes. We might do, you know, another themed anthology, something like that. But yes, so there's that. And we got some really great stories. I can't tell you who's in it because I've submitted my variations on, on various table of contents. And I hope that they take the people I want, but we'll, we don't know. Um, so there's one thing. Um, about two weeks ago, I was asked if I wanted to write a Dorian Gray story. It's well, just, to just, add to it? Well, there's a, apparently an anthology of Dorian Gray stories in the works. Oh. And somebody just popped out of nowhere and said, do you want to write a Dorian Gray story? And I'm like, yes, I'll write you a Dorian Gray story. All right. um, at, well, the funny thing is that I just – once again, this is sort of this uh, thing that happens. I just had watched the picture of Dorian Gray on uh, AMC or, or Turner Classic Movies, one of the two, probably Turner Classic Movies, like a week earlier. Um, so the story was in my head, and then this this guy this this request came in, and I'm like, well, let me go back and look at it. Let me think about it. I don't know. I don't know. And and then all of a sudden, you know. You know how things work. You just 
I, you, you turn things over in your head and finally something comes together. Yes. And, yeah. And um, so, yes, once I had the idea, it just, I, I banged it out in like four or five days. Um, but it's always getting that idea. Mm-hmm. That's, that's hardest and finding the right voice for it. But then once you get that stuff, I find that once I get the voice down, it's e- who you know. Sometimes you got to figure out who's actually doing the talking. Um, it becomes a lot easier. So yes, so those are in the works. Um, I don't know. I've got a whole bunch of other stories out sitting there in in boxes, trying to figure out who wants what. But um, yeah. Uh, things are happy working on the new novel working on the new anthology a couple stories here and there um so if you have if you've already been asked these before i will try to come up with some new ones i just improvisationally so of of games do you prefer video games or tabletop games and why Yes. <laughs> and I do believe that, that somebody from Tabletop asked me this before. Mm-hmm. And I'll probably, if we go back in time and we look at that, we probably get another answer. But um, I like I like Mario Kart. Okay. I like the, Mario Kart. The Super uh, NES version or the, the uh, which the, version? The I got the Wii version. I, oh. I think Mario Kart 8 maybe, something like that. Okay. Um, or, In any um, particular map that's your favorite? Uh, I hate Rainbow Road. Yes. Uh, yeah, but um, uh, did you do Bowser's Castle? Okay. Um, gotta love Bowser's Castle. I like, but you know, but that is a that is a thing that I do with myself and my kids. You know, you know, because really, it's a great leveling field. There's nothing that you can. You can be really, really good, or you can be an adult. Or a kid. I, I watched my girls play. They're uh, seven and eight, and they were taking on seventeen and eight-year-old, eighteen-year-old kids and whipping their butts. Yes. You know these kids were. These kids came into my house mm-hmm. and thought that they were gonna. No. <laughs> yeah, my seven-year-old beat them. Um, but then you know, tabletop. Mm, I have a. a, a a nice spot in my heart for risk. Um, and then playing risk with my, there's nothing in the world like beating your seven year old at risk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, if the funny thing is that, you know, I, I so I'm playing with my girls because it's, it's a good game. It's not like monopoly where it takes up, you know, you start monopoly, you could be there for three days. Um, so you start risk and it's only a couple hours long, but the girls have figured out that if they just team up against me, they can beat me. Hmm. But that only lasts for about two rounds. And, and then they're like at each other's throats. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I keep telling them not to let me get Australia and they just <laughs> don't get it. Okay. So, so there's that, you know, and, but then, you know, I, we've been playing, we played, um, called Cthulhu and, and whatnot, a whole bunch of different games on with, uh, our friends. And those are really fun. Mm-hmm. Those are huge time commitments. Yes, they are. They are. And, you know, Friday night for me is a huge writing night. Um, and you know to kill a, a writing night with uh, hopefully yeah that, yeah so I, yeah sort of like in the I middle, can understand that I want to play I want to relax I want to have fun with friends mm-hmm. everybody else wants me to write the novel yeah, yeah. which which what do you want to do um, so there has to be a give and take there um, yes. it you know and sometimes it's hard to not right you know sometimes you feel like oh my god i finally figured i do this thing where it's like i'll be sitting at work or someplace you know and all of a sudden the solution to something will come to me i was like gotta get it down now and i gotta work on this tonight (laughs) and if you've made a commitment to 
call of Cthulhu on, on that night, it's hard to break either commitment. Yes. So, yes. I love call of Cthulhu. I love playing role playing games. They are a time suck. And I agree. I agree. I, I, since, since we have disbanded Fridays, I have gotten so much more done. Right. Oh my goodness. In regards to learn, I mean, just even learning more about right. homebrewing. I, I, I went to a local event and uh, talked with someone that worked at a regu- uh, re- local radio station, and, and they were walking around somebody else's store asking me about the equipment and the process, and I'm just <laughs> able to rattle off all, I mean, it, I mean, I even impressed myself. It's like, wow, when did I learn all of this? So, Yeah, um, I got a smoker for Father's Day. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm smoking a whole bunch of meat. Mm-hmm. And with the goal of doing a smoked turkey on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Well, you just don't, you know, fire off the smoker on Thanksgiving and say, I'm going to do a turkey. You got to know what you're doing. And this yeah. is way off our, off our uh, topic. But, you know, you, you know, if you're going to learn a skill. Yeah, no, this is, this is absolutely within the realm of possibilities. You That's know, right. it's like you're well, talking about good skill development and devoting time. That's you right. Know, yeah, and I will tell you that sooner or later, everything I've learned about smoking will show up in a, in a book. Yeah. Just like I, you know, everything I've, I've discovered about coffee um, mm-hmm. will show up in a book. Um, yeah. So yes, those things uh, will happen. Yeah. yeah, and and also for me with the brewing thing, I expect to have a piece uh, up within the next week or so regarding um, how to how to brew some simple get started in in this hobby if you so choose to do. Right. Um, Let's see. And the next question that I have for you, Star Wars, Star Trek, or for those of you that like neither of the previous selections, Dune, which one and why? Dune? Dune? Oh, no. <laughs> so, um, DS9 over the rest of Star Trek mm-hmm. and Star Wars. But... oh. I gotta go with Babylon Five, okay, over DS Nine, simply because I think that the whole J. Michael Straczynski thing was obvious from the beginning—an overarching, arc, arching arc, a plot mm-hmm. that was thought out before they started everything, and. Um, it took a while for DS. I think the first couple seasons of DS Nine are a little soft. Yes. Um, once they got to the Dominion War, then things mm-hmm. picked up. Yes. Um, but I think uh, uh, Babylon Five got there first. Anyway. It's okay. And then Buffy on top of everything, but those that's not in. You know, yeah. Hey, that that was it was a good time for television back then. Yes. Yeah. Um, if you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? I could have one superpower, what would it be and why? Hmm. Maybe you know, I'm gonna t- this time around. I think I'm gonna go with invisibility, just because there's so much things I could get done. Just you know. There's some neighbors I could take care of. There's a couple of bank vaults. There's, oh wait, yeah, no. You want me to be a superhero? No, no, no. You know, if you have, you know, the first thing, the first things I'm gonna do are gonna take care of my personal problems, and then maybe we'll start helping out the rest of the world. But <laughs> Marvel or DC? Marvel or DC? Mm-hmm. Dark Horse, um, oh. or you know, if if I were really going to show my age, Comico. Um, but so I grew up on Marvel. I was always a make my Marvel kid. Mm-hmm. Didn't like the DC universe at all. 
um, was a big X-Men fan growing up. Um, and then um, when I got into college, um, I, I, we had our, I got to go to my first comic book store. Ooh. Yeah, you know, big, big difference. This has been like 85 and went to a real comic book store and saw what was really available. And that really, you know, then I picked up, you know, the first comic books I ever bought that were from a comic book store as opposed to 7-Eleven or the flea market um, were V for Vendetta, Watchmen, Grendel, and the crow. Oh man. So there's there's some huge independent masterpieces there. Yes. And yes. you know, it once you it, it was a good year for comic books. Yeah. Um and then I just sort of I never really went back and read X-Men and I never really got into Justice League. I, I kind of like some of the DC stuff. Um, I, I pick up all the Alan Moore stuff I can find and all the Neil Gaiman stuff I can find. I was a big Neil Gaiman fan for a long time. Um, but never, I sort of outgrew superheroes, and I don't know why. Maybe with the X-Men, it's just because the, the mid-'80s, they became very repetitive, and they lost the thread. Um, the Claremont Bernie years were, were good. What came later was not so good. Okay. So. Sci-fi or fantasy? Oh, uh, sci-fi. I'll do sci-fi, but cheesy sci-fi. But why cheesy sci-fi? I, you know, I honestly, <laughs> so I do what I call a movie-cation, a movie education. <laughs> I know, yes. I'm stealing, I'm, I know I'm stealing from um, Pitch Perfect, but um, you know you have to watch a lot of crap mm -hmm. to recognize when a movie is good. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, I, you, I watch a lot of bad movies, and then I watch some really good movies that people think are bad. Or that Doctor Fives is a good movie. <laughs> Doctor Fives is a fabulous movie. Yes. It, it was a box offer smash. When really? It yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, it wasn't apparently a very good movie. Um, but, you know, I, I like to watch bad movies to see what were these people thinking. And, you know, I have seen some horrifically under-budgeted films that were still really, really good. And then I have seen some terrifically overly budgeted films that were really, really bad. Oh, yes. And it was just it was like, where'd the money go? It seems like the latter is that much more disappointing. Yeah, yeah. Well, because you can look at a movie and say, you know what, for the budget they had, mm -hmm. they did a pretty good job. And then you can yeah. look at a movie and say, my God, what, what did you waste all this money on? You know, couldn't you have gotten a different actor? Yeah, I mean, like with Guardians of yeah. the Galaxy, with that that series, I think they did a fantastic job getting the trauma kid. Because oh, yeah. you know that he milked every single dollar for everything that it was worth. Yeah. Because of all of his experience doing, right. working with what he had at the time, which was not much. Right. Um, I think there's a really good, uh, if you have ever seen um, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Yes, I finally did. I finally okay. did. So they hired a real prop guy. Mm -hmm. And the prop guy's like, okay, I need this much money to do this. And I need this much money to do that. And I need this much. And they were like, we can't afford that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but they're like, the popcorn gun, they had some guy like, okay, you know what? I can build that. How, how long does it have to last? Oh, <laughs> and they're like, literally, it's on screen for like 10 seconds. It's like, oh. all right, it'll shoot once. <laughs> you know? oh. So yeah, so he built a popcorn gun for like, you know, I, I forget, it's like some outrageous amount, like 50, 60 bucks. Oh, and it God. works It works for 10 seconds and then it's over. Hey, it works. And But that movie looks great. Mm. 
Yes, it does. Um, I, I will admit, yeah, that, that it does for the time that it was made. Uh -huh. hmm. Yeah, they did a great job. Okay. Um, so, yes. What job, if you were offered it, would make you immediately drop everything you're doing to say yes to? I've already submitted my resume. Protector of the Earth. Oh, cool. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I'm completely unqualified. <laughs> Sterilize yeah. everything. Um, but, um, yes, you know, <laughs> why not? Protect our ear. But, you know, uh, once again, I'm going to say, I'm going to take care of some personal issues first. And <laughs> we'll worry about everything else. <laughs> yes. Um, music question. Yeah. Uh, what album can you listen to all the way through without skipping a single track? Ooh. Um... Uh, that's a good question. It's probably going to be something from Concrete Blonde. Mm -hmm. No, I'm going to go with uh, Laura Perry. Uh, I think it's Bowel Movement. Okay. Um, I really like that album. I think that's what it's called. I could be wrong. Okay. Um, she, she was the lead singer for um, Four Non Blondes. Okay. Yes. Um, Depeche Mode Violator. True classic? Uh, yeah. Uh, concrete Blondes, uh, what, Group Therapy. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Frankie goes to Hollywood. Welcome to the Pleasure Dome. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this out with what question do you wish I would have asked you today? What question did you... Hmm. Where do you get your ideas? <laughs> Um, oh, is that your next question? <laughs> yes, yes, sure. I wander down the back alleys of other writers' works and I steal from them. Okay. And, you know, if somebody's not using a character or a plot point, if they put it in there and they just dropped it, I will steal it, massage it, repackage it, and sell it back to you. Okay. Right. So there you go. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Um, is there is there anything else that you would like to touch upon before I draw our evening to a close? I'm Beat Relic, and you're not. Okay. All right. So, no, I have nothing. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for tuning in, guys, and you all have a wonderful evening. Goodbye. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.